Hey, Brian, do we have the email on the screen? He's putting the uh, email on the screen right now, and then we'll get going. Oh, that's okay. No. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for staying after us. Leonard, thank you for that message. Just fire. Good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, something new for you at home. Uh, we know that those of you at home would like to, uh, we know it's when you're watching this on your TV, you can't type in a question on YouTube with your remote. That's hard to do. So um, there is, it's on there. All right, on the screen right now is an email address, diggingdeeperfcc at gmail.com. And you can send your questions there. And I will, I got it open right here questions and comments, and at the end, we'll, we will get to those things. If you're watching this later in the week, you still feel free to put something there, and we'll try to satisfy you. Um, and I'll, I will, for those of you at home, uh, everybody at home would love to hear what you guys are saying. That's a question that we, or that's, a, that's um, something that we keep hearing back from this. They want to hear you, so um, please give me time to get this to you, and I will try, <laughs> I, I will do all the more diligence with the mic. All right, so, um, I usually have a lot of time in the week to do this and put this together, but it's been a bit of a week, so um, it's I don't have anything that's half-baked or anything like that, but a little different today, all right? But we have quite a bit in, this, in these texts, uh, even if, if it's a text with 10 verses or 15 or 20, it's there's still so much there and you end up not even being able to say everything. So um, the themes that we have today, Leonard, I'm going to give this to you. You go. All right, so the themes that we have today um, is Jesus' effectual word, which his word accomplishes, um, it, the, um, the necessity of truth and wisdom, the reality of the, um, the reality of suffering, demonic and illness, and Jesus' ministry focus. Uh, and thesis today is preaching is greater than the miraculous. We will see that. 
um, between now and the end of the text and truth, and when that means by association that truth is greater than healing. Uh, and that can, uh, truth can provide healing in places in your soul where no medicine, scalpel, surgeon can reach. Um, and so we will see that today. Um, and Jesus is going to talk. So I'm, I'm just, we're going to run through the end of this text, but I want to spend a lot of time on what uh, Leonard was talking about a lot of time on what Jerry mentioned, just that, uh, and that's namely being Jesus' authority. Um, and we'll see by the end of the text um, that preaching precedes miracles and Jesus' ministry tells us that truth is greater than works. Uh, and I'm giving you the end first today. <laughs> uh, just cat out of the bag, ending first, so that when we go through everything, uh, there'll be a little bit more clicking that happens. This is my prayer that that would happen. And just before we go any further, Spirit, please help us as we go through this. This is uh, the word that you inspired, Jesus, that you accomplished, Father, that you commanded. And I uh, pray that you would lead not only my speaking, but our hearing. Help us all to be responsive. Whether we're online, whether this is video is played 10 years from now, so randomly, help us uh, to hear to speak well and to live according to what you have in your word for us. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen. All right, so we'll see the weight of his word and then we'll see the compassion of his works as he takes it from the synagogue into a neighborhood, into a home where people are coming to him. Um, and for us, this means that we need to continually remember. So I think that a gospel remembrance is good before we go into this text, uh, that none are saved by works done by us, but work, but for us. Uh, Jesus works on our behalf. Yes, we're saved by works, just not ours, his. Um, and our faith needs to be in his person, in his works, in every word that we hear him say. Because he is the message. Um, you see that um, to Jesus, the, the message is the mission. And Jesus is the message on mission. Um, so before we get in, I have just uh, a note on some on wisdom itself. Um, we're going to have plenty of opportunities to talk about the miraculous as we go through uh, the book of Luke. Uh, so we're not going to spend a lot of time, even though we'll see the miraculous today, Jesus accomplishing things um, that no one else could. Um, but I want to focus on something right now. So before we run through the text, I want to reposition our minds on wisdom so that we might fully grasp the magnitude of Jesus' authoritative word. Um, and I want us to understand wisdom itself so that when we hear the embodiment of wisdom speaking, uh, we'll recognize the authority that they did when they heard him. And, and we'll hear him with that same weight. And so... I want to do something a little different. I want to go to Proverbs 8. I was reading Proverbs 8 this morning, or uh, uh, earlier this week when I began my work on this. And if you want to go to Proverbs 8, you can stay there. But before we hit Proverbs 8, Proverbs 7, you don't have to jump around. I know I'm all over the place. Just bear with me. This is going to take just a few minutes. But it's going somewhere. My son... Keep my words and treasure up my commandments within, uh, with you. So these are bumpers on our life uh, because we all imagining bowling strikes until it's gutters. And uh, 
keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. That's how we need to see wisdom. So that when he, wisdom, Jesus, the embodiment thereof, starts speaking, we'll receive, not just hear. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. Proverbs personifies wisdom as a woman here. Talking about this nourishing effect is what that's trying to accomplish. And call insight your intimate friend, someone who can, you can confide in and keep close. All right, now we're going to go to eight. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? Okay, so she, here in this text, wisdom, she doesn't force, she pleads. Either we rebel or we abide. Wisdom is a pointer, not a pusher. Verse 2, on the heights beside the way. Not on the way, but beside. Remember, wisdom pleads. It says, come this way. And at crucial points, it does so. At the crossroads, she takes her stand beside the gates in front of the town. And the entrance of the portal, she cries out. So wisdom is preemptive. It comes and it comes at the outset, on the, on the outset. It counts the cost and it's calling out to us. And now we're going to skip over to verse 22. And this is wisdom itself speaking. The Lord possessed me wisdom at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up at, at first, before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had, had shapes, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields, or the first of the dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I, wisdom, was there. When he drew the circle on the face of the deep, when he made, the firm, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned the sea its limit, so that the waters might not transgress its command. His command. When he marked out the fountains of the earth, then I, wisdom, was beside him, like a master workman, and I was daily his delight. Wisdom is something the Lord greatly approves of. Rejoice before, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of men. And now, O sons, listen to me, wisdom. Because blessed are those who keep my ways, hear instruction, and be wise, and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors, for whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord, but he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. And 1 Corinthians 1.30 tells us something. And then we're going to get back into our text. Tells us this. And because of him, God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. 
righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So what we have here about to speak, about to preach is the embodiment of wisdom, Jesus Christ. And he went down to Capernaum, the city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. Why? Because of who it came from. Jesus is the embodiment of wisdom. Though they didn't specifically label him the embodiment of wisdom, they recognized in it. They recognized it in him when he spoke. Two thousand years later, we are still studying what he said. Also, Jesus didn't just note things in a traditional sense. He discussed things directly. He took things on head on. Directness is what grows teaching into preaching by the power of the Holy Spirit. He didn't merely become a copy of a school of thought. He is the unfractured embodiment of perfection. Prophets relay God's word. Jesus speaks as the word of God. Perfect wisdom, bottomless depth, and all authority. And they saw and heard this authority in him before what comes next. But imagine how they felt after what, come, after what comes next. Verse 33, And in the synagogue there was a man who had a, who had a spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Uh, verse 34 starts with, it says, Ha! But it's saying, leave us alone, is what, is what the, the, the text means there in the, in the language. It's, uh, okay, so the word here in the Greek, and also in Mark's account, tells us that Jesus didn't make, didn't make it far into, until this encounter began. This was immediate. This, this entity in the crowd couldn't stand this teaching. And here's why. The voice of truth, the voice of authority, this one speaking, had passed final judgment on the kingdom of darkness already there this demon knows and we'll talk about this later in the book uh final judgment has been cast and so it lives as it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living god uh is what the bible says elsewhere this demon has fallen into that place there is no hope for it so it lives in the terrible expectation of god's judgment When this one, when this very one comes and opens his mouth, the demon couldn't stand the sound of it. Hearing the one who condemned them, unable to remain silent or remain hidden in the crowd, or remain hidden in a person in the crowd. Um, when we get to talk about, um, and I let her preach this in the past year, but w- when we get to the, the garrisons, when we have the demoniac running around who breaks the chains, Lives in, the, lives in the tombs, lives in the graveyards. Uh, when Jesus gets out of the boat, comes running to him, has everywhere to hide. The demon must submit to him. Jesus' words shook it to the open. Truth, reality, is too much for the wicked. Light is too much for darkness, simply. And not only was Jesus' word authoritative, but his very presence exposed evil and caused it to tremble the immutable, holy, 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 invincible king of heaven who dwells in, in unapproachable light, 1 Timothy 6, 16, in whom there is no darkness at all, 1 John 1, 5, was advancing the kingdom of darkness. You're in my seat. Like the clip we saw today. 
We are those seats. Not saying everybody has a demon, by the way. <laughs> uh, so Jesus had authority to grant salvation and confront all opponents to it. The kingdom of darkness and our own flesh. We, uh, so if I could just ask a question. What are some opponents to our salvation that lead us to stray? We see the demonic here. And just to add, um, there is, that we know from Scripture that there are things behind the things. There's a curtain and there are things back there uh, at work in the world today. And Jesus came and essentially took their teeth out by his cross. Um, scripture evil is trying to live by any perspective other than the perspective of god amen it has its own set of rules that are in defiance god's rules yeah defies god's boundaries of how we should function how we should i, I love that passage from pro or from proverbs seven mm-hmm. you know you read that initially and you're like oh he's talking about you know boundaries mm-hmm He's kind of talking about that on the surface. He addresses that specifically, but yeah. Grants, yeah. But basically what he's saying is whenever you are trying to live a perspective other than God's perspective, it's the equivalent of trying to make up your own rules on how you, how you behave with, with women, with um, mm-hmm. sacred covenants, with just making up your own rules as you go and doing what yeah. you feel like doing when you feel like doing it. And so the writer of Proverbs basically is saying that when you just do whatever you want to do unrestrained, you're living in an evil way. You're living in a perspective that is different from the perspective of God and God's right. way for us. But when you ask the question, what is it that is in our world that is, that is, um, that is evil? Mm-hmm. I just think about anything that I'm involved in that I know isn't from God and God's perspective and God's created order. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's it. Um You can have you can have good without evil. But you cannot have evil without good. And so all evil can do is corrupt what's already there. The same as you can't have a lie without truth. You can't have you can have good without evil, but you can't have evil without good because good by because evil by definition is corrupted good. And we see Genesis 1 and 2, no evil. The world's existing fine. Evil comes in. It's broken until Revelation. First two chapters, no evil. Last two chapters, evil's dealt with. No evil for eternity. Evil can't continue. God will not allow it to. It has a time limit. This this demon here had a time limit. You're in my seat. Jesus takes it out of the way, and the kingdom of God is coming to bear on the earth as Jesus proceeds into his ministry. He came speaking truth, bringing good, 
uh, taking off the costume of the counterfeit, I guess. Uh, put us in our right mind, in our right state. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the demon had thrown him down in their midst, and he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? Jesus' word to stabilize the people, peoples, and the principalities. And Mark, they wonder if this is a new teaching. It wasn't what they were used to. Jesus didn't align, as we've been talking about uh, here and there, and Leonard brought up. Um, Jesus didn't align with major rabbinic streams of authority and credibility. Jesus' authority and approval came not from academic credential, religious ladder climbing, or rabbinic endorsement, or schools of Jewish thought. His credentials came from God's approval, the Spirit's empowerment, God the Father's approval, the Spirit's empowerment, the testimony of Scripture promising and foretelling him, not to mention him being God in the flesh. The religious leaders taught about the message they were given from Scripture. Jesus taught as the fulfillment of that message, as the personification of the word, as the word. 1 John 1, 1 says, uh, all this makes his teaching such that people who heard the word their whole lives might have just be been beginning to grasp it. Rather, the word of God from the mouth of God was beginning to penetrate and they felt God's glory and trembled. The people and especially the evil. For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they came out. Verse 32 tells us they... Uh, they were already astonished at his teaching, but now they witnessed him having authority over the demonic, and that's a problem they didn't have a lot of options to come against before this. And they see Jesus simply telling it to go, commanding it. And the, yeah, Joe, I'm going to get you the milk, My, the milk, the mic. High priests thought they had authority. Mm -hmm. They're ruling the, you know, the uh, temple and everything like that, and they're telling the people how they should live, of course, under the law. Mm -hmm. Christ is taking out the demon out of that man. It's spiritual. That is what's amazing because he's saying that he's God. Yes. So... The, the ones that are around him, he's actually already said he's coming. They knew who he says he is. Don't like it. Christ now is taking. They recognized it rather they admitted it. <laughs> from the way the Jews think what authority is. Mm -hmm. We're talking spiritual here when he says. I think we have authority for a policeman. Yeah. That's our that's what we do, you know, when you're a policeman, you put your hand Every up. week you say what I'm about to say. Yeah, right. Well, yeah. I, I, that's good. I'm glad. <laughs> yeah. I was saying that. <laughs> the fact that he took Yeah. He took the demon out and said tell nobody. Mhm. Mm yeah. Yeah. Ourselves. No, 
No, it's spiritual. We can't. Jesus can reach into where we can't. Uh, the the rabbis, and so much as it counted on them and their faithfulness, it was it was primarily it was law. It was flesh. It was due. It was it was physical. Jesus enlarges it. Uh, his was a weight of teaching they'd never known. Uh, some say, uh, uh, someone might say a law student tells you something is lawful or not studying the law, but having no authority. Then a legislative official comes along uh, and, and who makes the laws, or a judge who enforces the laws, tells you whether something is lawful or not, and it has authority. Student, though they might be an authority on the matter, have no authority to enforce the matter. Legislative official has authority. Judge has authority. Um, now, the moral law maker, I wish I could spend a lot of time here or just, <laughs> but the moral law maker, Jesus Christ is teaching. This is unique. Uh, this is completely unique because the one who established the moral law engraved on the human fabric is himself teaching. C.S. Lewis said about this, you can learn more about a house by learning from its architect than by looking at its architecture. Okay, so all they ever had was the scribes and Pharisees up to this point looking back and talking about the architecture of the house. Now the architect himself has come. That's from Mere, uh, Mere Christianity, one of the first three chapters. Um, awesome book, by the way. There's very few books I recommend to all Christians. That is one of two of them. Um, and so that's why the architect himself comes and that's why verse 37, and reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And so we're just going to read through the rest of this text as it lies, opening, up, opening it up uh, a little bit with some words as it goes. But it's a good thing, and we're still at the beginning of the book of Luke, so it's good that we hear this now so that when he begins teaching later, we have this in place in us, right? Uh, verse 38. And he rose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. Uh, today, we still do this. We appeal to Jesus on people's behalf. It's called intercession, intercessory, inter, make intercessions for people. We pray for people. We, 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 this is a picture of what brotherly love is today. Jesus embodying it here now, and they know who to go to. They saw him cast a demon out. They heard him teach. It's by faith that um, they begin to appeal to him on her behalf. He's not just some regular guy. They know to go, and they know that he can help. They would have seen his miracles before. We have faith in them where, he, where they saw then. And he, t and he stood over her. He's still standing over us today. And he rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve. Remember when we did uh, John 13 about Jesus washing the feet? He doesn't serve us. Or we can't serve him until he serves us. Here's an example of that right here. 
um, his service creates ours. His cause is creates effects. Now when the sun was setting, and this is just, I love this picture of scripture here, just to read it as it lay. And now when the sun was setting, all those who had, who had any who were sick, people are bringing their loved ones, and various diseases brought them to him. Maybe they brought them to doctors or tried different things throughout the ailments of the people they loved and their own ailments, but now they know, now that now Jesus is here. I guess you could say that uh, don't wait until he's the only thing that you have left until you realize he's the only thing you need. Go to him first. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Jesus says, all who come to me, I will not cast out. He laid his hands on every one of them. And demons also came out of many crying, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. They'd met him before. And they were trying to exercise authority over him to reveal who he was, but God would reveal who he was. Sometimes when you're realizing who Jesus is, it's because God is opening your, well, it's, it's really only because he's opening your mind to understand that. Um, you see First Peter, who do people say that I am? Or not First Peter, uh, you see Peter when Jesus is saying, who do people say that I am? Um, and then you are the son of God, is what he says, the Messiah. Um, and Jesus tells him, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. God used his mouth to make this declaration. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. What was he doing there? Praying. Jesus lived a devotional life. He prioritized prayer. Uh, he being God in human flesh should tell us that uh, because Jesus needed the God we're how much more do we? And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. So you'll, we'll see this a bunch. You, we won't, you taste of Jesus, you, you'll want to go with him everywhere. You'll see him. Maybe for you, your reasons are off behind this, and that's why motives matter. Um, but he's, he's followed when he's when you see him working is when you see when you hear him preaching like our souls recognize their need when Jesus is exposed to them like it's a light in, in the tunnel when you've only ever lived in a cave and he said to them I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well and he was preaching in the synagogues of Judah uh, John six twenty nine says the work of God is that we believe in the Son that He has sent. Uh, Jesus is spreading the message. Uh, 
Last week, what did we talk about? We talked about when they heard these things, when they heard his preaching in the synagogue, they were filled with wrath. Okay, so they didn't respond well to this. Um, now there's the people who are following him because of what he had spoke, people who would want to keep him from leaving. Um, if this guy's an authority, who could defeat us is probably what they're thinking. Um, but these two different reactions tell us that uh, everybody loves Jesus as a teacher. Muslims love Jesus as a teacher. Atheists love him as a teacher. They love him being, uh, when it's about morality, um, but as soon as you cross that line into Jesus being God, then the love for many ends there. Because you can reject a teacher. You cannot reject God. You can disregard a teacher, but you can't disregard God. And everybody at some level inherently has that within them to know that's why they rebel against. That's why I did all the years I did before he hunted me down. Hey, Zeus. Okay, I wanted to ask this question and it said when he went to the town and he did this on the Sabbath mm -hmm. began to teach the people. Well, that According to the Sabbath, that was supposed to be a day of rest. That why is that why they were so sort of interested? It was something different because wasn't he still under the the law of uh, on the Sabbath? Luke mentions I'll that a lot. Uh, several times he talks about him. Luke mentions uh, I think about five times he does miracles on the Sabbath. And there's a, there's a reason behind that as, as we get into this and we understand what Jesus was about. Um, it's not accidental that he's doing it when he's doing it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it says a lot of things, but for our purposes right now, it's basically saying he is the Lord of the Sabbath as well. Um, but we can explore that a little bit farther down the road as we, as we come across these passages and dig into their different nuances. Yeah. So I guess that's my response for that right now. Yeah, well, I, we didn't fully open up the Sabbath aspect of, of this particular text because we're going to have other texts that we're coming up to where we can only do that. Okay. So that's coming. No, no, no. Thanks for the question. Um, and so we see preaching taking precedent over works. Um, over miracles. We know that Jesus' miracles serve as um, confirmation of the things that he's preaching. They, they, they give credence to his, Jesus says, believe based on the works if you have to. Uh, but 1 Timothy 1.4 says, God's plan operates by faith, not fruit. And this is where we'll kind of simmer it down. Um, if it operated by fruit, we'd be doing what? depending on ourselves to be exhausted. A lot of us are because this is what we're doing. But God's plan operates by faith. If it operated by fruit, we'd be depending on our, on our own works instead of looking to our Savior, trying to be our own Savior, enslaved to our personal performance instead of looking to the Savior God provides, being satisfied by God's provision. We'd be 
Abraham and Ishmael when God always wills for us to be Abraham and Isaac. And if we could save ourselves, just to talk a little bit about the gospel, um, God wouldn't have needed to send Christ, but we see Christ provided, and that tells us uh, it's not within our ability to save ourselves. Uh, and we don't want to be fundamentalists, all doctrine, no doing. Um, but we don't want to be all law accomplishing and be all doing and no doctrine either. There's a good balance that we need to have in place. Faith and works work together. Um, so faith precedes fruit because faith fuels fruit. Um, if we give you a bunch of action steps, a bunch of law, do this, don't do that, you'll be happy that if practical things were given to you, do this, don't do that, and many of us would be satisfied by that. But if we give you the gospel, and if we just give you a bunch of Jesus, that fuels your tank so that you can do anything that's pleasing to God. So we need to be humbly teachable so we're not pridefully active, but humble and fruitful. Wrong belief, no fruit. We don't want to be all all Romans and no James, <laughs> um, are all Romans 1 through 11 and no Romans 12 through 16, um, all Ephesians 1 through 3 and no Ephesians 4 through 6. Um, and that's why our mission statement is what it is. Uh, loved by God is the gospel. That's how we work. That's the... That's what puts the fuel in our tank so that when we hit the pedal, we have something that's driving us because we know the first love fuels us and we want to serve him. We know he served us. And so that generates in us this worship that produces itself in character fruit and change and the spirits at work causing and uh, bringing all this forward and also loving people, loving one another. So we're loved by God, devoted Christ and committed to one another. All those things are happening as we come to church today. Rich, when we, when we, the elders spent a lot of time going over Matthew 28, Ephesians 4, and, um, and uh, Acts 2 mm -hmm. to come up with the mission statement. And we were at a retreat back in the fall, and we were talking about those verses and how they would help us to redefine our mission statement here at First Christian. And we got into a conversation because we had had the elders uh, go through that and give their own take, and then we were kind of collating their response. And we ended up with this phrase, devoted to Christ, committed to one another, as our mission statement. But as we were talking about it at the elders retreat, we're kind of like it's missing something. And one of the things that Rich brought up that I thought was really insightful was he mentioned earlier about Christ has to serve first serve us before we can serve other people. And so our serving is sourced in him. 
And that kind of evolved into the conversation about why do we, why are we devoted to Christ? Why do we love one another? Because God first loved us. Yeah. And because God first served us. Yeah. And so everything we do has to be sourced at the very beginning in God, in Christ. Everything is sourced in Christ. So just one more thought real quickly. You mentioned earlier about um, Jesus doing these things in terms of preaching and wisdom. And the fact of the matter is wisdom, the good news, the word, all originated in him. And that's what made him different, of course, from the the, the Pharisees and the, the scribes who are just building on yeah. the precedent Jesus of what they is did. the message on mission. Yes. So when he's doing this great reset, he's just drawing us back to him and saying, I'm resetting it, but you have to start with me first before you can go and do all of this stuff. Yeah. And one of the things that you just mentioned just now, as we think about our salvation, a lot of people pastorally have said, when they're getting ready to go to be with the Lord, I sure hope I've been good enough. And I, and I assure them, they haven't. But that's not the basis yeah. by which they're gonna go to be with the Lord. God is the one who's instrumental in that process. Yes. Your job is to be obedient, um, which doesn't mean you're working, it means you're responding. Mm-hmm to what the source has already been doing in your life, if I could use that word. Mm-hmm. So when Jesus rolled the scroll and he said, I'm, I'm starting my ministry, one of the first things he says, release the captives. Mm-hmm. We can't release ourselves from our captor. No. We need a savior to do that. No one's gonna release themselves, even if they try to find a substitute for the key to the jail cell. You helped me to understand that years back. Entropy. Yeah. Here, Joe. People at home want to hear you. I like what you said, Leonard. We're responding, not working. Work is a bad, has a bad connotation to it. Like, it's it's strength, and you know, can we keep it up? I like the word responding, and I believe that's what the Holy Spirit does. We, we do things in the Spirit or unto the Lord, and that's a good thing, because we're responding. I like what you said about that word respond. A lot of denominations talk about work. We'll tire us out. Yeah, yeah, we can't, we can't respond to the strength of so much. <laughs> Everything comes with him. Yeah, really. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, if you read John 3, two mics. Um, If you read John 3, he's going to tell you that all of our works are accomplished by God. You think about that. He's the great cause to all of the effects that are our works. Um, Yeah, Jesus made a splash 2,000 years ago, and we're still, we get to be part of the ripple. Yeah. And we still, yeah, we naturally, and that's what our action step is. Like, what can possibly be our action step if he does everything? 
What, to your question, what is our action step? Yeah. The action step is, is, is just one. We, we, do, we have been given free will. We can decide whether or not we're going to do our will or his will. Mm -hmm. If we're doing his will, we're saying, Lord, I am open to what you're doing. And I'm open to you doing it through me. And I'm open to asking the question, what opportunities are you putting in front of me that are in alignment with your will? Or your will? Help me to be responsible in that opportunity yeah. by opening my will to you and saying, I'm your servant here. Yeah. I don't see that as a, as a work motivated by anything except a desire to let God work in us and through us uh, for the benefit of other people. Yeah. That's, a, that's a kind of a posture Mm -hmm. that says not my will but your will in my everyday life mm -hmm. and Jesus shows us the way yeah yeah you can go um, let's let's end there with that and, and let's pray in that direction um, before you does anybody have any other uh, questions or comments and especially you online if you would like to type them in I've got here and that will be available every week as we move forward. And, um, but anybody here would like to add anything? All right. Father, thank you for this text, Jesus. We, we didn't hear the message that you preached that day, but we heard the reaction to it. And so by this, we know the authority we, we read about you today, able to deal with the darkness in the world without stuttering, without repeating yourself. Help us to be responsive to your word. So we might not have practical steps today, but we have you. And I fully believe that if we are full of you, we'll be more fruitful than we could ever be if we had a head full of commands. And so, that's our action step. Fill us with the gospel so that we might be set at a position, as Leonard said, of fruitfulness. Laying down all those things that stop fruit. And may it be our fruit to lay those things down. Help us to bear the fruit of repentance as we've heard John the Baptist command us weeks ago. And uh, help us to be satisfying in your surpassing worth. Open our eyes to your surpassing worth. So that we would be a people alive, doing works that you prepared in advance, all for the glory of your name. And may your glory be the motivating factor under the banner of Jesus in our life. And it's for his wonderful and perfect name we pray. Amen. We'll see you.
me to say.